Hello there and welcome to episode 8 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Oh yeah. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. Well, it, it seems to have finally happened a quiet week at the Albion. And I think it's fair to say it feels a bit unusual for us Albion fans. We've been so used to of late having to navigate our way through bloodshed and chaos that it's difficult to know what to speak about or how to even act when there's no threat of impending doom at the Hawthorns. So in today's podcast, there's not that much news to actually chew on, perhaps a few crumbs here and there. But nevertheless, I would still describe today's podcast as being potentially juicy. Not sure if crumbs can be juicy, but we'll go with it. It's funny, none of us enjoy the ocean of drama that Albion usually find themselves paddling around in when there's nothing to worry about or fret about. I don't know, it, it does leave a little bit of a void in my life. I wouldn't say I miss it, but there's something oddly reassuring and comforting about having that knowledge that Albion are self-destructing at all time. I don't know. But anyway, as always, I want to start the podcast by saying a huge thanks for downloading and listening to the Hawthorns Debate Club. Honestly, it feels a little bit like I'm stuck on repeat when I say this, but it is. it blows my mind that people actually listen to us three talk about the Albion. And let me say an extra big thank you this week to those kind souls that left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You're definitely this week's podcast listeners of the week. So congratulations to whoever those two people were. Even though you're completely anonymous and it's not a real award, feel free to tell your friends and family about your new accolade. So please continue to spread the word about the podcast. The only way people hear about this podcast is when you guys tell other people. So like and share us on social media, tell family members about us at functions and whatnot. In terms of engineering situations in your life to attract new listeners, I thought about this a little bit again this week. I want you to start issuing ultimatums to people in your life. The choice should be that they either start downloading and listening immediately or you'll be forced to freeze them out of your life. Is that fair? Yeah, sounds fair to me, Jamie. Good. Yes, I'd agree. And so on today's episode, like I said, there's a little bit less drama for us to talk about, perhaps not so much news circulating around the club of late, but nevertheless, we will be talking about Valerian's first few days at the club. Reading's Ron Gurley joins the boardroom party. The potentially not stripy enough Albion shirt we will be rocking next year. A couple of transfer stories that have started emerging, as well as some bold early predictions about the coming season before finally landing, because we love to land on this podcast, with England making the final of a major tournament for the first time in our lifetimes. Let's start with a conversation around Ishmael's first week at the club. It's been really interesting to see on social media. Club have been tweeting various different releases, and obviously the story's been picked up by various news outlets, and those are the guys who run Instagram pages have been picking up these threads as well of Ishmael doing the rounds, so to speak. Obviously, last week we talked about him being present at training, but this week has seen him do a number of visits to very different aspects of the club, including the Albion Foundation, the ground, visiting with former players, and really seeming to want to integrate himself into the fabric of the club. It's been this very intentional effort to engage with every aspect of the club. What have you guys made of Ishmael's early start to his life at the Albion? I think it's really, really positive. Every time the press asks him what's his aspirations for the season, he always answers, even if if they word it in different ways, he wants to get his philosophy. And basically, he, that's what he wants to do. He wants to do it from the people in the staff who are doing the day-to-day work in the kitchens and everything, all the way up to the top. That is a very positive thing for a manager to do. We always are firefighting, bringing in managers who short-term appointments like Big Sam but we're always putting out fires and this one looks like we're actually thinking about the future and especially with that four-year contract I think it's quite alarming alarming in a good way not in a bad way that they're giving him four years so I don't think he has to get us up or anything like that I think he's just getting us to have that Gagan Press name around West Brom going forward. Alex the alarm bells of positivity are ringing loud for Joe what do you think? (laughs) You know I agree with Joe It's really refreshing to see a manager coming into the Albion and paying attention to, it seems, every detail of the the culture of the club. In the past, managers 
seem to have come in and just focused purely on the playing side of things. Mm. But for him to spend time with the lifeblood of the organisation, you know, spending time with the foundation, meeting ex-players, really trying to grapple with the, you know, the heart of the club and understand what it's all about. It looks like he's here for the long term, which is, you know, really good to see. Get a sense that the the tide is changing. You know, we are looking more long term now. Yeah, again, I couldn't agree more with both of you. I I honestly felt it's so encouraging to see these pictures kind of emerge on social media. And it was kind of him studying the shirt and him seeing to really kind of want to make a a connection with it and then him with Bomber Brown and Chris Brunt in the dugout. He seems to be really intentional. I think that's his leadership coming through about creating this culture around the club. And like you said, Joe and Alex, both you said, it seems to be really investing in the smallest parts of the club and trying to embed this long-term vision so that people feel like even though their role might be smaller, that they are part of this whole thing that is West Bromwich Albion and that this is who we are and this is the culture we are going forward. And it's all going to be, hopefully, manifest itself on really successful, aggressive, attacking direct football on the pitch. But he's obviously interested in building something much bigger than that. And like you both said, we haven't had that in so long. It's been, I can't even think. I think you're probably going back to like, before Gary Megson, where the obsession hasn't just been how do we either get into the premiership or stay in the premiership and being in either one of those mentalities that really doesn't look beyond six months ahead of us. I think you hit the nail on the head where you said he's a leader. He's not a manager. He's not a head coach. I think he's a leader. And that's what we need. I totally agree with Joe. What One thing that triggered in my mind when Jamie was talking about his attention to detail, it's almost like F1 and cycling, where they've got to such a standard that they focus on the minutest of details and they just try and make every everything as best it can be. So even if it's down to like the, the quality of the football type, the feel of it can have that little impact on the quality yeah. or the performance. And that I really enjoy that he's looking at the finer details. Yeah, absolutely. And while Alex was speaking, listeners, Joe has just walked off. So I don't know if Alex has just upset him or what's happened there. Storms out. Piers Morgan style. Oh, he's come back now. Oh, he's come back and he's refreshed himself with further refreshments. I can can hear you, you know. Oh, no. He's caught us red-handed. Yeah, but like I say, you know, there's been so many things that have come out over the last few days that have been really positive. But one of the things that particularly hit home for me is the director of the Albion Foundation, the West Bromwich Albion Foundation, Rob Lake, met with Valerian Ishmael. And he said this, and it was great to meet him. And you could see he was generally, genuinely, not generally, genuinely interested in the work we do. And, And I think people like this who are so part and parcel of who we are as a club and perhaps part of the club that you don't see, they're not the face of the club they're the people that make it tick and work in the background they're often the unsung heroes and to have a character like Rob Blake coming out and saying this guy came to meet me on his second day which is totally unprecedented and he didn't just come and meet me he stayed he wanted to know more about what we do and for him to just be totally blown away by Valerian Ishmael and his attitude and his philosophy really speaks volumes to me that's the kind of thing that makes me sit up and take note it's one thing to hear about a style of play and a kind of philosophy towards football but I think what's emerged for me over the last week is Valerian Ishmael the man the leader as you guys are saying and I'm extremely impressed with what we've seen yeah he definitely doesn't strike me as being lazy like he's not leaving any stone unturned here which is brilliant And that's obviously as important as we're saying about all of these things that are kind of the peripheries of the club and Valerian Ishmael putting significance and importance into all of these different parts. Obviously, what matters is what happens on the pitch and kind of Townsend has come out and made some comments about what training has been like under Valerian Ishmael. How would you, do you want to have a bash at that? Yeah, on the uh, WBA official website, Townsend, he says that the training has been intense. He says that it's been short and intense sessions, which is the way that Ishmael wants to play you know he expects for 90 minutes on the pitch for it to be really intense but then after that the players can sort of relax he's after these short spurts almost like sprinter type mentality rather than like a marathon runner which I I really like the look of like collective sprints which is kind of what a football season is to me kind of what this podcast is like for many people I don't want it to feel like a marathon for people but a series of collective sprints of uh, brilliant insights (laughs) 
So, in other news that's emerged around the club this week, Ron Gourley has joined the club. He's come in as a role in the boardroom level of advising the club on transfers. It's not formally been announced, but it has been widely reported, especially in the Reading media. What have you guys made about these reports about Ron Gourley joining our board to discuss transfers? I don't know too much. I've done some research before this podcast and when I saw it on the official website. Why has he got uh, a wiki page, Ron Gourley? (laughs) <laughs> it's very short. I, I couldn't he find this with you, Has he? Oh, great. Yeah. But no, one of the brilliant things, I did put Ron Gourley uh, read it in, and one of the first articles that comes up is, don't look back in anger. <laughs> so very, very uh, great headline from there. And it says, hide your aging stars, hide your checkbooks. Ron Gourley is back and ready to financially destroy another championship club. So... Very positive. Yeah, you know, feeling, it, suits, feeling great. it suits the Albion mould, just ruining things. You, know, yeah, you, you can we see what we've appointed him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got to have someone like that in the Albion. We look, it looks too positive at the moment. You've got to have an enemy in the uh, in the ranks. I, wonder I think if that's, that's why Ken's that's why Ken's done it. Scapegoat. I wonder if that's how he describes himself. Like, was that on his CV? Ron Gourley is back and ready to financially <laughs> destroy another championship club. And he like just slides that CV across the table and just with a smile on his face. He's not the exact same role as he was at Reading. He's an advisor, isn't he? So I think because when uh, Dowling left, he was the one who did the contracts. He did all that. Valerian Ishmael, he ain't gonna have enough time. To to do that and manage the team. So I think he's there to advise when Ishmael wants a player to go out and get him. So hopefully it works well because I don't think Ishmael's going to suffer any falls, is it? He's walked no. out of clubs in the past because he didn't get on with the chairman. No. I mean, it's it's terrifying, I think, what the Reading fans are saying. What gets to me is that he's been at Chelsea and Man United in the past. So he must have some pedigree, he must have something. But, you know, absolute horror stories coming from Reading. And it just begs the question, like, who's been, who researched Ron Gourley and thought, yeah, you know, he's the one for us. It's like Jason, maybe he's been brought in purely as like a scapegoat. So if things go wrong, they can just go, yeah, it's doing a Gourley. <laughs> I think this other headline here, which is really interesting, is negative influence went beyond the transfers. I like this idea that he's like he spreads his wings over different areas of the clubs to bring destruction. So I've got a list here of signings that he made while he was at Reading. Sam Baldock, don't know who he is. Sonny Aluko, heard the name. Sam Walker and David Mailer. And according to our notes here, they were all big disappointments. I think David Mailer, he's, got, he's always... <laughs> He's, he's always been that championship player, so I don't think that's... He probably was a big disappointment, but he was an ageing player, I'm guessing. And Sam Baldock, I have heard his name. But I think these are all average, lower championship players. But I just think it's going to be interesting because he worked with Majeski, didn't he? The owner of Reading. And him working with the Chinese owners now because he, well, it looks like he brought people in on big wages and spent lots of money. But even though we've got a lot of money, our owners are very frugal, aren't they? So it's going to be interesting with his new role, which I don't think he's had before as a transfer advisor and working with the Chinese owners and then working with a strong character that is Valerian Ishmael. So we'll obviously see how it unravels over the next few weeks. Well, hopefully it doesn't unravel. But like you say, I think the fact that it's not just him making the decision solely, um, maybe we won't have to see that he's back and ready to financially destroy another championship club. In other news, we've seen that the new kit has been finally unveiled and it's been shown to be the one that was leaked uh, a few months ago. There was some consternation at the time about the fact that it wasn't stripey or as we've discussed pre-podcast, that if it is stripey, perhaps it's just very few stripes, but we'll come on to that perhaps in a few minutes' time. What are your guys' thoughts on the new kit? I like it to be honest, and that's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I think it has split the Albion fans, hasn't it, due to the lack of stripes. But I think what won me back was that they've got the Psalm 23, is it? Lord is my shepherd. And that's the first time that I can remember. I think we've had the Albion crest in the blue in the past, in like the 90s, but I can't remember anything since. And it's quite nice to have that. That It's not a template as such, because a lot of these big companies like Adidas, Puma, they're all templates. And you can see four or five of the clubs in the Premiership or the Championship will have the same template with different colours. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a bit unique. So I do like that about it, but I can understand people's opinions about the lack of stripes and that we're going away from the Albion. But if everything wasn't going bad behind the scenes, I don't think people would be as damning of the kit, if you get me. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's just another, it's just a cherry on the top for some people. Uh, what do you think about this stripeless cherry? Yeah, I mean, technically it is blue and white stripes. In that there's two white stripes. <laughs> but, you know, I quite like it myself, but I can't see Roberto Mancini rocking it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's all right for a season, but then I'm sure they will have taken the feedback and perhaps go back to, you know, blue and white stripes in a more traditional format in the future. Yeah, I've just we've just had pre-production meeting where Alex's brother Zach modelled the new top for us, uh, and it looked lovely. I have to say, like I say, I'm one of those people who wanted to see stripes, and I want to see the stripes come back. But I, I, having said all of that, and like I said, when it first came out, I was kind of horrified that we've gone away from the stripes. But now seeing it quite like it actually there's something of a soft spot and i haven't bought an albion kit in a long long time but i am very tempted to get this one and as joe said i like the psalm 23 being embedded into the fabric of it and that's i think that's really a a nice touch and hopefully god will be on our side this season as we go through the league (laughs) i think overall i'm i just really like it i think it's it's really tastefully done Uh, you know what i like jamie how it's you know psalm 23 and technically, we are the closest stadium to God in England, aren't we? I think we're the highest stadium above sea level. So I think that's, you know, I think that's how it works as well. <laughs> yeah. So if God, if God was a football fan, surely you know you sport your local team, which is in his case West Brom. Exactly. So geographically speaking, I think geographically that is very, very accurate. Um, and I'd be alarmed if it's not theologically accurate as well. To bring it back to the kids, there's been a lot of talk about the training kit that everyone loves it have you seen it it's like a gray but it's quite bog standard gray but it does look nice and a lot of people are loving that so i thought you were going to say that uh dodgy there's like a pinkish one isn't there um light pink yeah yeah there's a limited edition one where the puma icon is halfway down the jacket it's really weird confused the hell out of me that did it almost looked orange you know which is like you don't want to go down that route I've had a few people say, take my money when looking at the training kit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I've never really thought about owning a training kit. But if people like it, go for it. Splash your money at the club shop. Um, Ron Gawley will surely spend it wisely for you. <laughs> I'll just say one last thing about the kit. I think part of the things that to kind of link what we've just spoken about back to Valerian Ishmael and kind of this fresh start that's coming at the club i think i was very sold on the kit just by that video i referenced earlier where valerian ishmael is kind of holding it out and kind of soaking it up lovingly and like staring and i think in that moment i kind of i just bought into this new chapter and this kit being like a representation of what it means and stuff so um as i've just said i think they will be getting my money um and i'll probably buy one for the lads as well the boys my sons uh, and they'll oh, have I thought you meant us then Jamie oh. sorry my bad I'll buy one <laughs> for my podcast children and my biological children <laughs> um and you can oh, I'll buy two and you can fight my kids for it it's up to you <laughs> right let's move on to some transfer talk there's been a little bit quieter this week there's been some links to um a couple of players Moa has signed. That was officially confirmed after last week's recording. We did talk about it a fair amount and some pictures have emerged of him at the training ground and Valerian Ishmael has spoken about how he'd like him to lead us and lead a lot of the players in terms of adopting the new philosophy. You guys got any fresh thoughts or additional thoughts about Alex Moa those first few days and his role at the club? I think it's just great that he already knows the system. So it's easier. It's not just Valerian trying to get that system over. He's got a friend, a nice friend in the camp, in the, you oh, know, friend. who can also spread the word about Gagan Press. And to be fair, I've watched some of his goals now. And oh. some of them are brilliant, aren't they? Oh, lovely. You know, That's a proper YouTube compilation, that is. That's really good one. Yeah, I like it. Left footers always look better anyway than striking That's the ball. So true. So true. Yeah, what what an incredible signing. And like you say, Joe, I think it's it's gonna be a great tool for Ishmael into showing the team, you know, what he wants from his players. Bit of a cliffhanger there, sorry. That's all Icelandic right. and all. No, that's all good, bro. Another reports have emerged and these seem to be gathering a little bit of momentum about Trevor Shalaber from Chelsea. He's um been linked with the club. Have you guys had a chance to look him up on Wikipedia? Anything you'd like to share with us? <laughs> 
I've got him up on Wikipedia, Jamie. It'll be a, wouldn't be the Hawthorns Debate Club if I hadn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know this this chap here is you know he's played for Chelsea since 2018. Been on loan at Ipswich, Huddersfield Town, and Lorient in France. He's made quite a few appearances now, so he's you know he, know, he must know the game pretty well. He's a defensive midfielder. He's a big lad, six foot and three inches. Uh, he's 22 <laughs> years old. Um, his name's Trevor Tom Chalaber. Oh, wow. Cool. There you go. Uh, this is the yeah, insight that people tune in to hear. Do you know what I mean? Middle names and height. I feel like we're really providing the full width of who this man is. Yeah. I mean, apparently he's a bundle of energy. Uh, you know, he's a very athletic player. So I'd quite welcome the signing of Chalaber. Trevor, sign him up. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I just like his hair. He likes to hair do, is likes so to good. That. He likes to wear that headband underneath, doesn't he? So, uh, I've seen him previously. I think it might have been for Huddersfield. But he's, he's someone who runs with the ball. He'll pay, he's got that Sawyers in him where he, he'll play a nice ball every so often. But he, he can carry the ball, which I think we've lacked. Livermore likes to carry the ball, but then he'd fall over or stumble over or something like that. But, you know, we haven't had a player who can do that. OK, Yukoshalo did it a little bit when he, you know, he, he strives with the ball. And I think that's what Trevor Chalaber should do for us and... It'll open up spaces for the, our attacking players. Yeah, I think I've just looked quickly at the Google as well, and I, I love his hair as well. His hair is on point. I think a very exciting signing, potentially. Is it on loan or permanent? I think it's permanent. Oh, wow. Yeah, two sure ones to sell him. Well, sign me up for the Trevor Shalaber experience then. In outgoings, we've had a few different links come up, all concerning defenders. Obviously, it's nice to not just have to talk about Pereira and Johnston potentially leaving the club. However, Valerian Ishmael has come out this week and said that he does actually expect them to leave. But links emerging today that Bartley has been linked with a potential move to Crystal Palace or Newcastle. And also Darnell Furlong has been linked with a move away from the club. Burnley being one of the main protagonists there they didn't get a lot of attention really last season both of them played really well both of them probably played above expectations but never players that you'd probably instantly label as um, targets for Premier League clubs but nevertheless these guys have obviously attracted some attention what do you guys think um, on the Darnell Furlong side of things, I read a few things about, I don't know if you'd see, it's probably rumours and it's probably BS, but Liverpool have been interested and been uh, scouting him as such because apparently it's a bit of a similar to Robertson. He's not as good, he's never as good as Robertson, but he likes to go forward than defend and he's got a bit of pace on him. But the thing I love about Darnell Furlong is his jumping. Yeah, everyone's the guy. Jumping, yeah. yeah, the guy can jump, so I. But uh, yeah, I love a jumper. To be honest, you know, <laughs> strange thing to like in football. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, though. It's like Cahill. Like one thing you'd like about him is his jump ability. Yeah, jump ability. <laughs> no, but, I mean, I, I would eat my hat if Furlong uh, signed for Liverpool. Yeah, I know, yeah. You know, you know, I reckon I've been a victim of clickbait as well with the Bartley, if I'm honest, because for three million, you know, he's getting on a bit, but I don't see why we'd sell him because he's one of the one of our leaders now. Sure, he captained the Albion a few games last season to sell him to our rivals, Palace and Newcastle, for three million as well. Which you know, I, I mean, I'd, I'd accept three million from from anybody quite readily, but football terms, three million isn't a lot of money, really. No, not when he had his best season last season in the Premiership. Yeah, I think the fact that what it does show above all else, though, is that how much these guys have probably come on. Like I said, I think when we came up to the championship, they were highlighted as areas of potential weakness as these guys not being up to premiership quality. And yet they've kind of proven themselves to the point where now other premiership teams are coming in to kind of try and cherry pick them off us now that we're in the championship. So it's nice for Bartley and Furlong on a personal level and a career level to be linked with a, a big move but I, I think the reality of it is is that they're almost must keep in terms of what we want to do going forward particularly Furlong I think with like the whole way Ishmael wants to press a lot of energy, uh, energy and energy um, going up the wings and stuff like that so I think ideally I would try and keep both and as you're saying Alex as there's no real unless like they came in with silly money and um, there's no real reason that we should have to sell them for kind of pennies or peanuts or whatever the currency people want to throw at us there's no tax on peanuts another interesting transfer story that emerged again i'm not too sure whether we've been 
swimming about the pools of internet rumor too much, but okay, Yakushlu um, has been kind of linked with a potential move back to the club, loved living in the area, and also I think enjoyed his time at West Brom. I think the Euros may have damaged his reputation slightly. Turkey obviously underperformed and being kind of one of the more established players in the Turkey side. He seemed to draw a lot of criticism during the Euros, and I wonder whether that's hurt his value about a potential move. He has said that he would prefer a return to the Premiership, but a few people have started connecting dots about a potential return to the Albion. What would you guys make of OK signing back on? I love it. He's a brilliant player. Last season, one of the standout Bologna's, but I don't know if he would spit into Bologna Smell's type of football. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the edge, Joe. He's, I love I love the bloke. I think he did great things for us last season, but he doesn't strike me as being somebody that's riddled with pace. Yeah, I think for me, Yakushu is a very measured and calculated player. He's very precise and and calm on the ball and and like you're saying, he's technically gifted and he's but he doesn't have that aggressive pressing style. He's much more on the controlled end of things rather than frantic and I mean, I think he could work in any system, to be fair, as like a screen for the defence. But as you say, it's perhaps less obvious in this kind of press philosophy where he would fit in. Does it work? But then again, I would trust Valerian Ishmael with anyone at the moment. I, I totally buy him in. I, I trust him to work wonders and miracles with any player, whoever they are. I think, like you said there about Ishmael, working with any uh, players, He's been working with the youth, who's been mentioned, isn't he, in the press, saying he wants to look at the youth. And I've seen on some of the training pictures on the Twitter that there's Callum Morton's in there, Rico Richards and Rayan Tulloch. And there's a couple of ones that I haven't, well, I've heard of, but those names, because of Callum Morton being on loan and Rico Richards got a couple of games in like off the bench against Harrogate or something like that. There's also Owen Win- uh, Windsor and Zach Ashworth. So I think before he goes out and signs people, I think he's going to look at these players, and that's what we haven't had for ages. He's going to look at these players, see if they fit, and then we don't have to. Then we don't have to spend, do we? Yeah, he's clearly made a point of saying that everyone's got a chance now, and he's given everyone a fresh start. When you look at the training pictures, like you say, there's these names that you hear floating around the club, but it's been really good to see some faces that you almost don't recognise, but then you attach them to all of these names that have come through the youth and other characters, even like Kenneth Sahore. I ain't going to get sucked back into that, but just seeing that everyone's got a chance under Valerian Ishmael. And this week we've signed eight academy players to professional deals. And so often in the past, it's felt like players, when they sign a professional contract, that's it. The next thing you hear about of them is when they've been released by the club. But my hope very much is that under Valerian Ishmael, these players who are signed will be given opportunities. And I think them seeing that there's this opportunity to train with the first team provides them with a kind of a vision for where their future at the club might take them. There is a pathway to the first team. Um, because I think in the past that hasn't been so obvious. The very, very few players in my history of supporting Albion uh, have come through from the youth development academy system that we've had in place. I think looking at the youth, even if they're not good enough, they might be good enough to be those squad players, you know, be on the bench, come off the bench, and we'll get better with game time. But it means that we can go out with our Rongoli and uh, splash the cash on a couple of players, not not by six or seven players and change the whole squad, maybe by three or four quality, like Chalaba, quality young players with potential. And I think that's what Verin Ishmael is looking at, I think. I don't know. That's a really good point, Joe. I hadn't thought about that previously, but yeah, it does sort of thicken out the squad, doesn't it, by promoting youngsters. And, you know, we must have a pretty decent system in place because we've had quite a a good crop of players Mm -hmm. come through in recent times bit of a shame that we see one of one of those players like Tim um, Erogbenham being linked with Aston Villa you, you look at like Nathan Ferguson going to Crystal Palace Louis Barry and Izzy Brown but hopefully this will change that and we'll start to see more of these cream of the crop type players start you know thickening out our squad and potentially breaking into the first team and having a similar journey to, to Berahino but perhaps selling him on for money rather oh. a lot more money I think you're totally right there because I think what's happened in the past, and you know, you see all these players going to Villa and getting poached, 
because the players see that there's no route to the first team through the Albion. So why would you sign a new contract? Villa seem to be they won the they won the youth cup, didn't they? They seem to have a good crop of players, a good team effort there. And they will get chances. Maybe it will be in the FA Cup and stuff like that. But it doesn't seem like Albion in the past, recent past, have given those opportunities, not even the Cups or anything. This might make players stay in the club. Thickening the squad and cream of the crop. I think that's true. I think it ultimately speaks to a shift in mentality in the club from short-term, a need for experience and and all of these people have been there and done that because we're fighting relegation or striving to just get over the line for promotion, that you can suddenly shift gear a little bit and say, well, actually, if this is about what the next four years looks like, now, obviously, the intention is still for Albion to spend three of those four years in the premiership, but that you can actually start to embed some younger players. You can start to involve them in what the first team looks like rather than kind of putting senior players in with the under-23s, which just seemed to be more what the pattern of like in the past and the past managers, where you find out that rather than under-23s training with the senior squad, you've got players like Kamal Grzyczy training with the under-23s and the complete reverse of what you expect to happen. So I've been really encouraged by what I've heard merging from the club, especially with these all these new talented players, Josh Griffiths included, and a few other characters. It is a shame. Um, that Irogunbenum has been linked with, uh, hasn't signed the contract and been linked away, but obviously he has to make those decisions for himself. And I'm reading here that we've also formed a partnership with Telford United. Yeah, yeah, I think they, I think they used to have a partnership with Wolverhampton Wanderers, but Wolverhampton Wanderers pulled out of that partnership last year because the pitch was dodgy or something. But you know, I'm glad that we've taken you know initiative and taken up the opportunity because it'd be a good platform for young players to to build the career on. I think playing Absolutely, there. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, enough chat about what's been happening since that there was no news. I think we've done fairly well there, really, to talk about all of that. But it is exciting time at the club. The new chapter under Valerian Ishmael seems to be loads of positive stories emerging and hopefully long may it continue. And what we're going to do now is come on to a section and a segment that I'm really excited about. I've been thinking about this for a while. And I'm glad we're doing it today. Um, we're going to make some early season, pre-season bold predictions about what's coming for us Albion fans next season. So we're going to each take a turn to make a very, very early, probably too early, reckless speculation about what lies ahead, a prediction for next season. And we're going to kick it all off with Alex and his bold prediction. So my bold prediction is that I think Grady Diangana will score more than 20 goals next season. I've, I've seen a few photos of him in pre-season. They're all action shots. And I, I reckon he, he upset a lot of people when he, he left West Ham. And I think he has got it in him to be a great player. He's got a lot of pace about him. I think he'll fit into the system quite well. And he's, he's got a goal in him. Yeah, I, I really do think he can you know, break 20 goals next season. I like that. I like this one. I like it because it's it's not... It's bold, and I, and I believe that the, the amount of goals is would be unbelievable if we scored that many. But he has done it at this level before, and he's done it with style. Uh, and I think that the volume of goals would be unprecedented. But I genuinely think, like you say, the ability he carried in that season. And I know he kind of fell back to the pack a little bit. But really, when he turned it on on his day, he was unplayable. In fact, in many ways, he many people put him ahead of Pereira. And now that seems completely ludicrous now to even suggest that. But at a time... Dean Garner was, he was the starlet of what we had. And, oh, I mean, it would be an amazing season if he gets 20 goals. Yeah, I mean, he scored eight goals in 30 appearances in that season. But I reckon, you know, I reckon he can hit the ground running this time round. Less injuries, play the full 46 games. And I think was it 46? Did 20. we confirm that? Because our maths was <laughs> cruelly exposed on a previous <laughs> podcast. What do they say about um, once bitten, never smitten, is it, or something like that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, don't know. I'm, a poet. I'm not a mathematician <laughs> or a poet. So. But yeah, I reckon he's. I reckon he's got it in him. I, you know, that's my prediction. And now I'm just going to Google what that phrase is. <laughs> I'm spitting twice shy. Sorry. I think Alex's prediction is very bold. I think. Um, I think it'll be shared more than him getting one player getting 
over 20, depending on what the starting lineup is. And we use Carlin Grant, Dean Garner, and Callum Robinson if we sign any other players. I think they're going to be high scoring all three of those. So I think Alex won't be too far away, but I think you're talking 12 to 13. But hopefully, all the front three will get that. Well, at least then now you can know that we could never accuse you of being timid with your prediction. It is bold. I think it definitely meets the the qualification of being a bold prediction. I'd love Balls to see out bold. <laughs> I'd That's love to footballs. Footballs. Thank you for clarifying. This is a PG podcast. But I love how um I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it, you know. Obviously seeing Albert score goals is brilliant, but just for Dean Garner on a personal level, I've been one of the people who've been uninspired by where his career at the Albion has taken him. But just for him to kind of find form again, I think that'd be, it'd be wonderful to see. Joe, let's hear your bold prediction. This one is quite bold because the player I am going to mention, we don't know if he'll be starting the season. Kenneth Sahore. Go no, I think Kenneth Sahore will be in the team and he'll score a couple of goals, but that's not my bold prediction. It's I think so Alex, Alex Palmer... We'll get players play of the season and also be in the championship team of the season oh, as the wow. goalkeeper. That is bold. That is bold I because it's it... predicated on Sam Johnson also leaving as well. There's like multiple different dominoes that have to fall. I think Sam Johnson is going to leave because we'll want to sell him anyway because he's got one year left and we don't want him to go in for free. The only reason I say he's going to start is because Valerian Ishmael likes a younger squad. And Button is uh, on the ageing, not for a goalkeeper, because goalkeepers can go for up to the late 30s, 40s, can't they? But he's on the ageing side for Valerian Ishmael's ethos. He likes young players. And Alex Palmer has been out on loan for, it was Lincoln last season, wasn't it? And he was playing brilliant. I think yeah. he, has he been to Cheltenham or anything like that? But he seems to have been, when you look at last season, fans were talking about him wanting to get him back and stuff like that. I'm excited about him. Even though Sam Johnson played really well last season, I'm not as bothered him leaving than Pereira because I think we've got good backups in his position. And I'm also going to just say one more bold prediction. This is really bold. I think Callum Morton will get over 10 goals. I think he's got some class and I think he's, he's got a ginger, again, a ginger player. Have you and... been watching Lincoln, Joe? No, I haven't. <laughs> Spicy, though. I don't know. He looks like a bit of a workhorse, you know, like, and the ginger. If he does do it, it's going to be the next, not next Lee Hughes, we won't say that, but similar to Lee Hughes, you know, having a ginger player up front again. That's really interesting because obviously we've been building week by week a, a mental picture of what Joe looks like for people. And Alex has obviously kindly painted that with his brush. But Joe obviously making reference to ginger hair there when in fact Joe's hair looks very much like Trevor Shalaber's. Um, almost a carbon copy. Um, so it's interesting that you've chosen gingers to kind of be your kind of avatar um, in so many ways on the football field. In terms of Alex Palmer, Joe, you know, I think that's a really good cheeky little prediction because he's done it in League Two and he's done it in League One. The natural step up for him now is the Championship and for him to do it there. Like he's got plaudits in each of the leagues. So I think that's a really good shout and I'd love to see it happen. Absolutely. And I think, like you say, all of the reports that come back from people who are watching the media, various different kind of sources where news filters back, he's always kind of got really high praise. So it'd be great to see it. I think one of the things that I'm so keen about making these early bold season predictions is that hopefully by the time they come around and when none of them actually happen, they'll be so far out of people's memory that we won't be held to account for these predictions. So that's why we're doing them so early. My prediction, I was going to go for a player one. I was also going to go for a goal scoring one. I was going to go for Colin Grant to go above 20, but because we're giving them to Dean Garner, I'm going to say that we're going to cede to Alex's bold prediction there. I'm going to say something about our finishing position and another club's finishing position. I believe that West Bromwich Albion will swap places with Wolverhampton Wanderers league-wise next season. Very bold. But, you know, strange things happen at sea, Jamie. Yeah, and also they've got the new manager. We don't know what he's like, do we? He gets them relegated next season. That's what I heard. Oh, yeah, there we go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's not as much insight as I, I can share on this podcast, but... He's, um, I genuinely think, like you say, there's, a, there's enough unknowns about who he is and the style and system of play. I also think Jimenez and B 
big players for them coming back. And I don't really want to talk too much about Wolves, but there's enough that can go wrong there for a season. And I'm also super positive and optimistic about Albion's chances. I really think another prediction that I potentially was going to make was that we could go over 100 points, which seemed nuts in the middle of, well, early July, four weeks before the season started, and you predicted the team to go over 100 points. But I really believe, I just love the way Valerian Ishmael looked at that kit. <laughs> I'll buy anything now. You know what? Let me just quickly say this, Jamie. It'd be so funny now if um, you just see loads of pictures of Ishmael just touching random bits of memorabilia <laughs> to the people point. That's all I want to see. That's literally <laughs> all a, I want to see. It'll be a teacup next week and you, you'll be after a teacup. I saw him with a scarf and I thought, that looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I hope those bold predictions were bold enough for you. Um, obviously, like I said, we're not too sure whether we want to be held accountable for them because when Carl and Grant graded in Ghana, uh, both score over 20 goals. Alex Palmer wins player of the season. Nonetheless, we finish with 100 points. The balls get relegated. Obviously, all of those things coming true. We, we're not going to win a gloat. So if you choose to remember them, that's up to you. Can I just say, James, I did predict the correct score, the England versus Ukraine. I'd just like to shower in my glory. Oh, mate, well done. You know what? As soon as we make those predictions, I forget about them, but I'm glad that um, if you predict it right, mate, this is your try- like your time to shine. So bask in the glory. Well done. And he's definitely muted while he had a beautiful comeback for that just then, Alex did. Right, so let's land, as we always do, land these podcasts at the moment with a few conversations about the Euros and what a week it has been since we last recorded. In last week, England have won their quarterfinal and semi-final, one against Ukraine, which Alex accurately predicted, and then the second against Denmark last night, one all after full time, and then 2-1 in extra time when Harry Kane um, converted the spilled ball on his own penalty miss um, to send England through to the final, which sets up a final against Italy, who beats Spain in their semi-final match. And that'll all take place on Sunday evening. I've obviously never seen England perform this way in a major tournament. I've never seen England get this far. I think you'd have to be in your 50s now if you had seen this and you'd have only been a kid then. This feels a little bit like once in a lifetime almost as an England fan. Opportunity to watch us in a final. Um, We're all proper emotional and celebrating last night, I'm sure. I hurt my ankle a little bit when I was celebrating Harry Kane's penalty. But it has been an amazing roller coaster. Not a particularly exciting roller coaster, but a roller coaster journey to the final. What did you guys make of the game last night? I think you're wrong. I think it has been exciting, but in a different way. A negative excitement because everyone was saying he needs to change it. But I think he's got it right every time he's changed it. Last night's game was very nervous. I think Denmark played well. I think Gareth Southgate played it well by not using his subs straight away. Like in the in normal time and in the first 90 minutes, I think he, he made one or two, didn't he? And then tactical majority genius. Of, I don't think he's a tactical genius. I, don't, I, I think he's an average manager with a, a good team, you know, dressing room ethic and... You know, like, and that's what you need in some places. If you've got the players, you don't need to be the best manager. manager. You just got to play to their strengths. And I think he has done that. And we played that two holding, sitting back type of players with Phillips and my friend Damien Rice. And I think, to be fair, my favourite part of any game now for England is obviously we won the penalties. There should have been at least two penalties I think Harry Kane's was Stonewall penalty I think VAR failed on that mm-hmm. but my favourite part about any uh, game of England is afterwards watching on Twitter the fan celebration you know they always go to Croydon Bucks Park yeah it's bananas and it's just it? yeah. yeah it's just crazy and in the pub I was in it was crazy but there wasn't obviously in a pub that's still social distancing there's only certain amount of, so many people they can put on a table and so many people they can have in the pub but it was still crazy in there, beers flying around and everything. Yeah, but I just love, I love that. I think that is quite heartwarming. And that's my favourite part of it because the game yesterday was too nervous for me. So I couldn't enjoy it while I was watching it. No, yeah, it's totally. definitely one of those games where you feel like while you're watching it, it was really difficult to kind of enjoy what was on show even if we had played a different style and philosophy of football it would have been difficult because of just the anxiety surrounding it 
I think particularly going one nil down as well didn't help because yeah. you thought, oh, here we go again, another semi final exit. Mm-hmm. I think we've had our fair share of luck. Perhaps they like they say it equals itself out over a course of whatever. So perhaps we've had a uh, you know fair share of it. But I was just going to touch on what you mentioned earlier about Southgate, Joe. I mean, we, we talked about bold predictions earlier, and I think that's just what Gareth Southgate has been. I think he's been bold with his decisions. Like a lot of people would have argued or shown a bit of dissent, you know, when he sort of put teams out or made substitutions. But I think at the end, they've come good. The courage that he's shown has kind of been re- rewarded, I think. So fair play to Southgate, you know, I think he's been brilliant, which I'm sure Jamie will love hearing. You know what, I, the thing is, it's like, for me, I'm not going to pour water on people's celebrations here because it just, it seems pointless ultimately. Like Southgate has got us to a final. I think just from a style-wise kind of watching England play, it's very much in the the realms of Mourinho and cautious football and stuff like this. And I think in a com- competition like a major tournament, internationally speaking, perhaps that is just what's required. Required. And I think, as you said, Alex, I do think that look plays its part in that. I think every team that wins a major tournament will have rode their look at some part. And perhaps that's all England are doing is playing a system and a style of football that I would not enjoy if Albion played. Like, I think very few teams club-wise, if you're playing this style of football week in, week out, would tolerate what we're doing. But at the, same, at the same time, you can't overlook what he's done in terms of the culture of England. Work he's done in the dressing room, there just seems to be buying. Even when Grealish got took off after coming on and seemed to make an impact, there doesn't seem to be too much dissent. I think you just said out there, it seems to be that everyone buys in, everyone's got this common cause. And you can't take that away, that's part of his role. As much as I'd like to see that England play some attacking, exciting football, because we have the players to do that, players who do it week in, week out for their clubs. Ultimately, we're in the final and you just got to take it off and say, we're there. I don't know if Southgate's the difference, but we're there and he's part of that England setup that's got us there. And I, I'm, I'm really, I really believe that we've got enough to beat Italy. I think we have got enough to beat Italy because I think we've got the bench and he's used the bench very well. And if it does go to extra time, I think you'll be doing the same thing. Let's talk a little bit about this final that's coming up. Um, Obviously, if we win it, that would be amazing. Um, There's a proposed potential bank holiday petition that's been circulating. If we do, go on to win it. So make sure you sign that. Get Monday off this Monday or a future Monday off if we do win it. Obviously, that might be slightly premature, a premature petition. But um, what do you guys think about this game coming up? Should we make some predictions? Okay, I'll go first. This is off the cuff. I haven't really thought about it because it makes me nervous anyway. I am going to go, it's 1-1 in normal time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and we'll go We'll go to We'll go to extra time and penalties and win on oh. penalties. And we're going to crack that ghost as well and get into a final. I think we're going to get all of them out of the way. Oh, your one prediction point. makes me feel sick, mate, to be honest. I don't know if I can cope with that physically. <laughs> I need a bank holiday. I'll need two weeks off, if that's what it's like. Forget a bank holiday. Al, save me. Um, I'll just go for... Um, Six nil England, first half. <laughs> you know, I reckon... Can I, can, I, can I say two results? I want to hedge my bets a bit, if that's possible. You can, so I, I you reckon, can. Well, first, I reckon one nil Sterling, because I think that would just be art. Standard, love it. <laughs> it would be art, you know, if we could finish like that. But I'd... Depending on which Italy team come out, if they come out and they've got energy, I think it'll be one nil to us with a sterling goal. But if they come out and they're a bit leggy, then I, I think we could, you know, do the business like three nil again. Interesting. I think that we will win. Obviously, I'm under no illusions. I think the Italian side are brilliant. I think they have, for me, been the team of the tournament. I think in terms of style, attacking play. I think they've done it done it already. But then at the other end of the spectrum, they've been really able to show off kind of the technical aspects like you're saying, Alex, all of the game management things that they do so well. And I think we've done that well, but they've definitely shown other ways of winning games that we haven't. They've really beaten up on teams as well. But I think the Spain game was a long one. It was hard. It was arduous for them. So maybe that takes its toll. I'm going to say England to win in normal time, 1-0. And I think it will be Harry Kane. 
I'm not going to say Raheem Sterling. Although I do think, like you, Alex, it would be truly like it would be. I think we've, you've described it well, saying it would be artwork if Raheem Sterling one nil was like the final bar on Gareth Southgate's masterpiece. Definitely. You know who I'd like to score now because I think he played. I think he was the man of the match yesterday, Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker's good yesterday. Yeah. He was in the first half, the first 10, 15 minutes. He just, his pace is ridiculous. He doesn't look quick, does he? he I just think he's look... rapid. You remember him being fast on FIFA? Like, he was always like 92, 93, 94 pace. And you always remember him being like that player that you wanted on right back. But he always backs himself in pace. He says that in every tournament or any competition. He's like, I always back my pace, always back my pace. And it's almost like at some point he's getting older and he can't be as fast as he was. But when that, Dahlberg was it that went Dahlberg whatever it is there up front yeah. that went through and he just literally came from the other side of the screen and beat him there he's absolutely rapid I don't think he's had a great tournament but he certainly had a good game yesterday I think there's a couple of players that stand out for me that I'd like to see maybe get a goal in the final game I think Luke Shaw has been absolutely yeah. quality yeah, he's been amazing yeah and um yeah Luke Shaw that'll do I like Rice as well he seems like a good character as well. He seems like a, quite a happy chappy. I think they should all get a goal. Yeah. And the, subs. and the subs. Get them on. Have, yeah. Um, and England sail through to a whatever that route, 15, 16 nil. <laughs> Very good. Right. Well, hopefully then the next time we speak to the good folks who listen to this podcast, we will be not just Albion fans, but we will be fans of a, a country who've added some silverware as well in the form of a Euros title. Do we get another star for that? Or is the star for a World Cup? I think we could put a star on, but it cheapens the, the, the World Cup star. I heard someone say you do a gold and a silver one. Put a moon on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Should we end it there, boys? Yeah. 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 So... Can I just say one thing like, before we go? That even if England don't win, West Brom, I've got Valerian Ishmael, so it doesn't matter. Amen, bro. Amen. What a legend. What a man. Totally agree. And that seems like the best place to end this episode of the Hawthorns Debate Club. And we will end it and land it the same way we end and land every episode by saying a big thank you to Al. Cheers. Another thank you to Joe. Cheers. And thank you for listening today. We'll see you next week. It's coming up. Thank you.